Psalm 57. If you look at the, the top of there, I think it's very helpful for us to understand the context. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, these are a series of songs that David wrote that, that are in the Psalter together. Do Not Destroy. Interesting title and, and series there, right? <laughs> a mitkam, a mitkam of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in the way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give, give thanks to you, O oh Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Lord, we ask for the ministry, the ministering work of your spirit to hover in our midst so we will understand precisely what you are speaking to us. Because God, you have before us life and blessing. And edification. God, we want to experience all of that because we trust that our trust in Christ, who has died in our place and risen to new life, that resurrection power, God, is right now. And we want to experience it right now. So we surrender to you. Say, God, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not going to disqualify me from a blessing or I'm not going to argue my way out of a blessing. I'm just going to trust you. And surrender to you. God, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fear and uncertainty lurk around every corner. They just do. We're living through stressful events of life. And when you throw a, the uncertainty of a pandemic that won't go away, it adds to the stress. See how I said that? We already have stress. But then we add uncertainty to our stresses. When we encounter stress, we all, every single one of us, has coping mechanisms to try to deal with what we're going through. But if we're not careful, 
We can be adding to the stress that we're experiencing rather than experiencing the calm and peace that God wants for us in the stressful moments. We can be settling for inadequate solutions that only mask a peace, but don't penetrate into our hearts to really give us lasting peace that God wants us to have. The psalm is written by King David before he was king. Look, we read it and we know the end of the story. He's writing this in the middle of the story. Talk about uncertainty. The man's living in caves. He's got several of them. And he has to, he has to go to different ones because there's a man named Saul who is the king of Israel who wants him dead. Literally, wants to kill him dead. So... David, looking at his life, doesn't know God's full plan yet. And running from Saul, he can, Saul thinks David's the, the greatest threat to his reign, so he just wants to eliminate the threat. But when we, when, we, when we take a moment to understand what David is, you know, David's experience, though maybe not uh, exactly what we're going through, it's, it's not typical that we have people that want us dead in life. Thankfully, for some people that might have something looking over their shoulders both ways because that really is. We, we look over both shoulders in a spiritual and emotional sense because we don't know, we don't know where the next stress is going to come from or we don't, we're, we're trying to look for the next relief and we can't find it. What David's experience helps us understand is that we all have a soul. And we might have a physical soul, but we have a spiritual Saul. We have an emotional Saul that's out to get us where it's insecurities and sinful passions for, for temporary positions or pleasures. We have jealousies and comparisons. We have a Saul inside of us, also outside of us and the devil himself. We have a Saul that's looking to annihilate God's plan, the fulfillment of God's plan that he has for each one of us. Now, we all have caves. Those are our coping mechanisms. We have caves that we run to. We have physical caves, perhaps, where you retreat into something, and you, you like the, the covering that happens in a place. But we have caves in things that we do, things that we watch, things that we hold in our hands. We have escape mechanisms. But listen, church. If we're going to those too much, I'll say it plainly like this. If we have stressful life and we think that binge-watching a series is going to help us relax, we're wrong. That only adds to the stress because we're not engaging with the Spirit of God to say, God, what am I trusting more than you right now that may be adding to the stress? But God, you want me to have healing and peace for me to walk through to experience your presence while I'm in life. Amen? With that... So we have to be careful about the solutions that we look to. Putting ourselves to more work could just be a distraction from things that we don't want to address in our own hearts. We, we, we have caves that we run into for escape. But when we're in the caves, we're always looking over our shoulders for what's going to happen next. When I was, uh, when I was in college, a, a phrase that was going around in our campus ministry that we were a part of was, you know, young, late teen, early 20s, get a little sense of a, a, a cool phrase and we hang on to it and remind each other of it. 
but it actually has stuck with me because it's, there's some reality to it. The greatest distance in the Christian life is the distance from what we know in our head to what we experience in our hearts. Greatest distance. Because we know it all, don't we? You've got, you got scripture references that pop in your mind. God brings those to you. And you think, I, I know those things. But experiencing is a very different story, right? I know all the verses uh, that I'm supposed to recite to myself when I'm feeling stressed or anxious or depressed, but I don't feel lifted. I don't feel anything happening in my heart. Now, this psalm is about that, that experience for David because the first half of the psalm is all that he knows. And if you think about the psalm in structure, he starts at this point, and he's, look, he's gone from looking around to looking inside. So he, he says that. And instead of, of being on the lookout for enemies that are approaching the cave, he retreats into the cave, and he says, Be merciful to me, O God. So he's looking to God to help him out. So I'm not looking around anymore, God. I'm looking to you. And then he begins to express all of the knowledge that he has. But the knowledge that he has is going down and digging into something in his heart. We see that in verse 4. Verse 4 is the pit. Lions are everywhere. I got nothing. Just spears and arrows coming at me. And it's not physical spears and arrows that he's talking about. It's words. It's things that people have said. But then we see a change in verse 6 where there's, a, there's an ascent now. And look at all those uh, in verse 7 and 8, all the exclamation points. We, we feel him doing something differently. So what's happening? He's going, I know what I'm supposed to believe. Let me get down to what, what the root problem is. And now I experience God's love and I come out of it. It's a helpful experience because most of us experience that very same thing. Now, we might not go deep enough. We might go deep and then just stay there thinking that we'll never get better. Or we try to skip over that part to just try to get the, just give me the exclamation point so I can get out of this circumstance without really allowing God to heal something that's deep down inside of us. So let's journey through this together. The simple, the title of this message is Faithful God for Faint Hearts. And God's faithfulness rescues faint hearts. And that's, that's simply what we have. In verses 1 through 3, free, hmm. Low down and unseeing. Uh, we have a firm knowledge. David knows what he knows, and he knows he's, he's supposed to believe what, what the right things are. These verses show how David went from looking around to looking in. And the very first thing he prays and he cries out to God is mercy. Be merciful to me. Be gracious to me. And these are to be our first words of prayer every single time. Remember what the writer of Hebrews tells us? Verse 4, uh, four chapter 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in our, and to help in our time of need. God wants us to come asking for mercy and for grace. But listen, there's caves. The caves can cover a physical body, but the, the cave can't cover the soul. Where does David go to have his soul covered? He goes to God's wings. Now, this is a beautiful reference, an absolutely beautiful reference of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. You've probably seen those pictures, really cool uh, rectangular chest. It's about this tall, but on the top there was a cover called the mercy seat, and on the top were these cherubim with wings, and the cherubim were, they were down in a worship 
from the description we have in Exodus. They're down worshiping, but their wings reach over and almost touch. Now, that, that mercy seat is also translated footstool. So think about this. It's where God's feet rest on the earth. That's where his feet are established. That's where his throne is established. And where is that throne established? In the middle of his people. In the tabernacle first and then in the temple. And all of his people were assembled around his presence, his throne. My throne is in the midst, in the middle of my people. So David is saying this. God, I want to find shelter. I want to find refuge in your mercy. Where is he asking? I want to find refuge in my identity as your covenant people. So our refuge comes from who we are in Christ. Our refuge doesn't come from some manufactured way that we make life feel better. It comes from saying, who am I? Jesus, I am yours. God, I am yours, and you have made a covenant with me. The old covenant represented was fulfilled in Christ. Now there's a new covenant that my interaction with you is based all in what you've done for me. And simply my response, so I'm responding again. But God... I'm yours. So your mercy and grace promised to me is based in relationship. It's based in covenant relationship where God wants us to feel who we are. He wants us to know I am yours. You are mine. I love you. I'm here. And so when we recognize that, that's our place of refuge under the shadow of his wings. And he says, I want to stay under the wings of your mercy cover until the storms of destruction pass by. The promise is that God will bring light at the end of the tunnel. Even though we might be in the middle of a tunnel and we never ever think there's going to be light at the end. And then he addresses God as most high in verse 2. I cry out to God, most high. Now this could be a phrase that communicates maybe... This is sometimes how we pray. God, you're just far off. You're doing something in the other side of the world that's... A lot of people on the earth that you're helping out, but if you can find some time to help me out, that would be great. When he addresses God most high, this is not a God most high. Hey, you're remote. Let me try to get your attention. A little help over here. No, this is you are God most high. But remember, he's just talked about his imminence, his presence. But what he's recognizing, you see this, what David's doing, he's recognized God's here, but he's also exalted. He's here. He's also transcendent. He's also over everything. So it's able to put his situation in proper perspective. He's not remote, far off. He's actively working his purpose to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And in verse 3, he has the promise. This is what he knows. He will send and he will save. God is timely in his rescue. And he will, listen church, he will not put his children to shame. His hope does not disappoint us in that way. Romans 5.5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So catch this, the Spirit's been in us. It's been deposited in us through, through Christ in salvation. God doesn't look at us and say shame on you because he would be looking at himself saying shame on you. He's looking at his Spirit in us. So when we get under the grips of shame or when we shame, this is parenting, this is crucial. Marriages, this is crucial. Shame is never, ever to be a, an, a tool toward an end to get, to get some type of promised end that you think should come about. We don't manipulate children with shame. 
There should really never, ever be a parent or husband or wife that says shame on you or says things in a way that is feeling like you're putting shame on me because it just leaves me stuck. God does not put shame on us. Who do you put the shame on? Son. So whenever we think the devil himself is pointing at us, saying shame on you, we look the devil square in the face and we say, nope, shame on him. All my shame was put on him, so now I am free. And now we have the blessing in our relationships of being life-giving and reminding each other of the hope that we have to we build each other up in Christ. We build each other up in our identity in Christ. We build each other up in the mercy and the grace that God has for us as we find refuge under his mercy-covered wings. That's what he wants from us. And then the promise. Remember, this is what, this is what uh, David knows. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. That's the word steadfast love. In the original language, steadfast love is one word. But it just encapsulates God's never failing love that does not abandon us. Never abandoning us, never leaving us to ourselves to figure out how we need to get better or, or what we need to do differently. He simply pursues us. He woos us. He wins us. And he frees us to experience his love. That's his steadfast love. So here's the confidence. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He will do it. But verse 4, remember, verse 4 is the bottom part of this, this experience. My soul is in the midst of lions. Here's a, he is pressured to doubt like nothing else. I lie down amid fiery beasts. Children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Now look, he doesn't say my body, excuse me, <laughs> took a too deep a breath. <clears throat> he doesn't say my body is in the midst of lions. This is not a, a it's not primarily a physical issue. Because he's got people that are looking to kill him. He's got an army that's coming against him. Saul's army. But he doesn't say my body's in the midst of lions. My soul, everything I'm experiencing on the inside is in the midst of lions. His battle is inward to believe all that God is and all that God has proven to be. He knows what he knows about God, but now he's asking God to meet him in this particular situation. And his situation is dire. His situation is desperate. If he's not rescued, he's dead. We have a lion that we're told about 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Remember, this is the same father of lies that Jesus said, that he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus has come to give life, and that abundantly. It's talking about an experience. So, the devil is after us. His minions, the demons, they are after us. The, the, the culture and system of world thought is after us. The algorithms on our phones are after us. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. You all know how freaked out you get when you talk about something and then an ad shows up on your phone? Now, we don't go into freak-out mode. Let's all get into, let's buy property in Montana and just hover and 
huddle together. That's not what Jesus' plan is. His plan is, you know, be responsible, be godly, be holy, be watchful, because we have the Spirit himself. Because, listen, there's a mission that God is still on. There's a mission he wants us to accomplish with our lives, with the truth of the gospel. Is a lie down amid fiery beasts. I think that's a reference that he he can't even sleep well because of the torment that's going on in his soul. And where's that torment coming from? Children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows. Are their teeth like is that like they've sharpened them through their teeth like Dracula style? No, this means the things that they said were spears and arrows that hit where? His heart. Remember, he knows the things, but he says, God, I need to make this distance. I need to close the distance. And these spears, their tongues are sharp swords. Is that a physical like switchblade tongue? No, that is their words are sharp and cutting, and they have left me done. Sadly, all of us, all of us have those words from people that we've loved in this life. Parents, spouses, spiritual mentors perhaps, teachers, coaches, friends, who we thought were friends. We, every single one of us, and here's what the devil likes to do. He likes to roam around and he likes to say, oh, there's shame attached to that sharpness. Let me remind it of you. And that's why we don't want to go deep. Because we're afraid of that. We're afraid of the pierce rather than looking at the one who was pierced. To be able to say, God, I really want to be freed in order. Not, freedom doesn't look like and healing doesn't look like never being tempted by it, never experiencing that again. It looks like when we have those thoughts, we know Jesus is right next to us. And his presence and his love for us is the healing. His covenant commitment to us, that is his healing. And we begin to experience his love deeper and longer, and it's wonderful. We all have absorbed the sharp words of those we've loved. Now, we need to be on the lookout to not be that person that's doing that. We we need our words to be life-giving and edifying and a blessing. There are sometimes we need to have tough conversations. We need to speak the truth in love. But we need to care and understand and seek for understanding, but give life with our words. Now, I have to add this warning. To be watchful, in being watchful, uh, every, the, the mouths on media, be careful. Because these little clippets, snippets and clips that I get, they're, they're all mocking mouths. They're all, let me, let me see who I can spear and throw an arrow at and, and sharp words coming out. Be careful. We need to be sober-minded. Because, look, every media platform is tempting us to run to the cave of their choosing. This is the real answer. This is the real covering that you need. No, we know the difference. We need Jesus. And here in verse 5, look, when, when David is at his bottom, he looks up 
But he doesn't look to he doesn't look to the relief that he's getting ready to experience on the other side of this valley. Where does he look? He just looks straight up. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be all over the earth. He looks up. Listen, God's height has to be the measure of all the mounting weariness and arrows that we're facing. His glory needs to be the blanket that rescues everything and comforts us. He needs to be high and wide for us. So, at his bottom, and he says, this is the truth, I'm looking to you. And then we, we, there's this little, there's a change. And there's a change because he recognizes how God is, is stepping in. And then verses 6 through 10, we have this wonder that happens in worship. Look, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. That soul bowed down. He's saying, God, I had nothing left. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. God does that all the time. He turns foolishness back on the fool. So whenever somebody thinks they have the upper hand, God says, watch this. And they end up getting sabotaged by their own thoughts or life. That's what happened. Remember, Saul, <laughs> he's, he's happened upon David. David's in a cave with his men. I have to think David's thinking, this is it, because they're right out there. They don't know we're in here yet, but they're checking all the caves anyway. Saul says, y'all wait here. Got to go poop. Literally. He has to go relieve himself. So he goes into the cave, sets his flame down, sits down. Oh, the kids in here love that, huh? <laughs> he sits down. David goes over, takes, was it that time that he cut a piece of his, his garment? And he lets Saul go out, go down the mountain. They didn't check that cave because Saul went in there. He didn't see anything. He calls out to them. He says, he's his father, to Saul. He's, he's honoring the king. He says, your men didn't protect you very well. God gave you into my hand. Spared you. So spare me. He said, treat me like I'm treating you. It's a godly thing. But and, and Saul said, you're more righteous than I am. He went home. He stopped pursuing him that time. It wasn't the last time because he came back. But what is... What's David realizing? They fell into their own pit. God showed up in a way I wasn't even expecting, would never have planned for. He just showed up. So that's the inkling. Look at God, you need to be high and wide over my life. And you have been. Let me pay attention to those details. When he pays attention to those details, something begins to rise and stir in his heart. And then confidence is coming with God's proven faithfulness. And then worship happens. In verse 7, he says, my heart is steadfast, that it can also read confident. My heart's confident. Now, all right, God, it's stirring. It's there. And look, the worship is the culmination of what God's doing in his heart. So he says, all right, I'll use worship. That's cool. I'll use it. Worship is, it's a weapon for our weariness. But listen, we don't, we don't use worship to attack weariness. We use worship to look at God who lifts us from our weariness. We use worship to see Jesus. And when everything wants us to keep, awake, keep us awake at night, we'll turn those moments into glorious worship. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, my soul. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. When I'm, when I'm, it's the middle of the night. It's the early morning. I'll turn that into praise, God. 
If that's when I have to do it, I'll turn it into praise. That's what I'll do. Remember Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi? They were just there. They're recognizing, they had no idea what was, it was very uncertain, didn't know what was going on, didn't know what would happen to them. And they start singing, start singing praises. And then everything starts to shake and rattle and things fall off and their, their chains fall off and the door is opening up and they get to escape. Now, we can look at that and like, all right, now, as if worship is some formula to make that happen now. Remember, God did something in their hearts, and then he showed them his power afterwards. And I do think that's the principle. When God does something in our hearts and we're responding to him with that praise, we can now anticipate something powerful. Now, that powerful doesn't necessarily look like the escape that maybe we're planning for or the relief that we're planning for, or the comfort that we're planning for, the escape is, God, you are with me, and you are good. So I can expect something powerful to happen. That I, can, I can worship by faith in that way to expect a healing, perhaps, a freedom over sin. I can expect that. And when we do that, when worship starts small, it has a huge reach. And where's the reach? I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Everybody that hears me, everybody that sees me, they will look to you. Listen, God's using our worship to show angelic beings his glory. He's doing it all over the place. So listen, the rise and the stirring in David culminates for your steadfast love is great to the heavens. You're taller than any mounting weariness or stress. Your faithfulness is to the clouds. It's beyond measure. It's just always there. Now, you know, height is really helpful in competitive sports, typically. You want somebody that is really tall. Like you, you, oh, let's get the tall guy. Yeah, he'll help us out. Yeah, God's the, he's the tall one. He's the one that stands over all of it. And he says, I've got this. I've got you. I am working my purpose for you. And he does that in such tenderness and kindness that it, it draws us in. It's where we say, God, I trust you. I trust you. His height is the advantage for everything in our life because he is the tallest. Verse 11, he repeats verse 5, but it's different now. Verse 5, it's, I, I got nothing left. Verse 11 is, I got everything. Same words, different experience. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He's recognizing God's ultimate purpose is for everybody to cry out to Jesus. So when God says, Habakkuk, that he's going to have his glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea cover, those words matter for God. He uses the same words. And in John 12, when Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is connecting himself to God's work. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who said, let light, shine, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. The church, where are you looking to refuge? Where are you looking for and to experience refuge right now in the midst of your weariness and your stress? It's not going to be in an argument. 
flat out. Disagreements over everything, everything with this, the life experience that we have. It's, and it's sad that I'm, I'm saddened that the church, United States church, evangelical church, is letting, is letting the enemy have his way to divide and to sow fear and doubt. I would say it this way. Christians are commenting too much on the wrong things. That's what they're doing. When, when unbelievers in our lives know our political persuasion more than they hear us talk about Jesus, we're talking about the wrong things too much. It's not that we're talking about them at all. We shouldn't. We should. We should be able to engage in these, but use it as an opportunity to look to Jesus. I had a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago. It just it disheartened me. Somebody that was, was still looking for a believer, looking for natural things to happen in the United States to give what they thought would be the solution for peace. It just wasn't, it wasn't, no, this is the moment for the church to be the light in the darkness. That's what this moment is. Because that's the moment the church exists in, exists in all the time. Let's comment on the right things. But let's comment from those who are resting in the undeserved and unmerited grace and mercy of God. That's who we are. May, may everybody we come in contact with just understand our gratitude for salvation, our gratitude for God choosing us to be his and making us his children that no foolishness on my own doing or sin could ever rip me out of his arms. Nothing, because he's just, he's the tallest, he's the strongest, and he's ours. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your word, for the gift of your spirit. God, I trust that what has taken place this morning is, is what you had in store. That faith would rise in us but God, I, I do pray for courage and, and grace and faith for us when we are in the bottom of that valley that we really do allow you to address those things even if it feels like you're completely silent in order to bring the healing that you desire for us. And God, use the other believers in our midst, use our brothers and sisters in Christ in order to bring about that healing because God, we want... We know there's other valleys out there, but we don't want to have to keep on living in this one. God, use... God, I, just, I pray for our, our, our medical community. I pray for strength. A strength, a supernatural strength, God, that you would even use to bring people to Christ. Because they, they could only attribute their strength and their, uh, their awakeness, even, simply, to the, the power of God. God, I pray you would heal everybody.
with COVID. Everybody. God, I pray you would give our governing officials humility and unity and that we as citizens would be able to walk with giving them a benefit of the doubt that they are thinking through things, that they do have information to work with. And God, may we be your people who shine and care and love big, really big. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. And let your glory be over all 